so glad you've joined us again. You've come to the right place. This is Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is, where we encourage each other, stretch each other in God's direction. We want to stretch toward God's high calling, not shrink from it. And we all recognize that that's our choice, isn't it? We either stretch toward God or shrink from Him. And we here, we want to stretch in the direction God is leading us. We never want to shrink because whichever way God is going, that's the way we want to go. So thanks so much for joining us. I'm glad you're here. I am a pastor in Cape Coral, Florida. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church. And it's a courtesy of our church that we bring this program to you. And we're really glad to. We want it to be for your benefit. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. We hope it moves you in God's directions. Maybe it answers some of your questions about things. Maybe it challenges you a little bit. Whatever it does, we hope it's positive and helpful because God wants to come and meet you where you are and lift you to where he knows you can be. He knows you can become more than you probably ever imagined, and he wants to lift you in that direction. Well, this week on the program, it's Instant Sermon Week. And I know that sounds a little odd, perhaps, but maybe I can explain a little bit. A few years ago, at the encouragement of one of our ladies who came to me and heard this idea used in another church, and, and I vaguely remember having heard about it someplace, but I never really thought about it because I frankly didn't think it would be all that interesting to people. And so I didn't pursue it, but she encouraged me to do it. And so we tried it and people responded quite well. So the way we do it is every time there's a month that has five Sundays, on the fifth Sunday, we have instant sermon. Now, instant sermon is where people will write a question or a comment or a thought, sometimes a passage from the Bible on a three-by-five card. We're very low-tech on that. They just write it down. We collect those cards, and, and the ushers hand them to me, and then I go through them, and we, we talk about them. Now, I tell people it's not because I'm the answer man or anything like that, and it's, it's not something as simple as stump the pastor because that would be way too easy. It's the idea to have a conversation and for us to hear what's on each other's minds. So if something's going on and I haven't kind of noticed it, then somebody can say, hey, what about this? And, and it kind of registers with me, and then we can talk about that. Sometimes that comes up that somebody else has a thought about it. And so we just take a moment to, to have a little conversation about that. Somebody else will add something in or some, they know something that I don't. Well, that's no surprise. A lot of people know things I don't know. But the idea is to kind of check in and, and to hear from each other and in the process, hear from God. Because when God's people meet and we, when they have conversations around the Bible, we hear from God and he really does help us. Uh, I was very encouraged this last Sunday, we're getting ready, because this is the weekend for instant sermon. And so I was announcing that and, and encouraging people to think about their questions, how they want to participate, and passing out the cards. We did it early this time, because occasionally people will say, well, I had one, and I forgot it, or something like that. So I encourage people to, to be thinking about what they might want to include in instant sermon, how they would like to participate. And again, somebody came up to me after church and said, I, I just look forward to that so much. I really enjoy those. Those are fun Sundays. And, and I was kind of surprised, but glad I didn't know people felt that way about it. I'd rather enjoy them. It's always a challenge. And, 
Every time I prepare for Instant Sermon Sunday, nobody asks the questions that I prepare for. So it's always going to be an adventure. And and that's fine. I, I don't mind. Uh, why not talk about things? Why not find out what's on our minds? Why not take what God is prodding us with and share it with each other so we can build each other up and together we can stretch in God's direction? So that's the idea behind Instant Sermon. Now, I don't see the things that people put on their cards until I look at them in the moment. It's really extemporaneous. It's really, uh, I hate to say off the top of my head, because people might think there's not much there, and sometimes that's obvious. But it's meant to be more of just a conversation and my first response. And, and if I don't feel like I'm doing very well, I'll say to people, I'm not sure this is very helpful, but it's all I got right now. If you need more, let me know, and I'll work on it some more. So it's really an honest exchange that way. Now, I know we don't have the possibility for you to hand me a question just on the fly for these programs. So what I've done is I've gone through my questions that I've collected over the years and, and also listened to people as they have conversations with me and, as, as, and with each other. And I've formulated some questions and I put them down. And so I haven't made myself a bunch of notes. I was honest to that idea of instant sermon. So I, I didn't go and prepare a lot. So maybe that'll be all too obvious and maybe painfully so. I guess we'll find that out together. But I thought we could have a conversation and, and let these questions that, that seem to surface every now and then help us have some better understanding of, of what God is up to in our lives and in our world and how we can cooperate with what he's doing because that's the important thing for us to cooperate with the grace he extends to us and for us to cooperate with the work he's doing in the world. So are you ready? Here we go. First question that I have for instance, sermon weekend, how do we keep that after church positive feeling lasting all week? How do we keep that after church positive feeling lasting all week? Well, I thought that was a very interesting question when I was asked that. And I don't remember my response in the moment when somebody asked me that question. But as I think about it today, one of the first things that stands out to me is, isn't it terrific that this person is attending church regularly? Isn't that terrific? You know, that didn't used to be remarkable. And for many of us, it isn't remarkable. But a lot of people, partly because of the virus challenges and and partly because of the choices that we've made in our lives, a lot of people don't make church that regular a habit. And so I want to really encourage you. Uh, I've said it before. I, I'll probably say it until I can't say anymore. You really need to find a church, and you really need to show up every week without fail. That's the benefit of showing up, you have that, as this person describes it, after church positive feeling. Well, the reason for that is because when we attend church, that's the day, that's the time that God has given us to reorient our lives in His direction. That's the time I sometimes say we reset our lives, because life has a way of happening, and things build up, things crowd us out, out one way or another, and and we feel pressures for this and pressures for that. And when we make attending church a priority without fail every week, it gives us something to orient our lives around. And it gives us something for us to keep 
ourselves on track. I can't emphasize that enough. People try to fit things in as they have time. And it's not just church, but these days people fit things in as they have time. And, and I want to say to us, we need to make church attendance a priority that we fit other things around. You see, I believe in the, in the brilliance of God. He gave us Sunday set apart so that we could have something that would guide the other six days. And if we can't manage our lives in the other six days, then Sunday reminds us we have to make some necessary decisions because God says, set this time apart for me and let the other things fit in the other six days. If they don't fit, then we have some serious conversations we need to have with ourselves, with God, with our families, so we can make that happen. It really is a challenge these days, and I, I'm understanding it. I, I realize it's not easy, but I'm resolute to say we all have to work at that. We all have to set that time aside. We were created to take one day in seven off for worship and refreshment. I often call it the day for, your, for you to fill up your soul. And I think that's important. Now, the specific part of this, and I kind of got on my popular theme, or um, how should I say, one of my favorite themes that people need to connect with church because it makes so much difference in your life. And, and you really know that. And, and I don't mean to be, uh, how should I say, a downer on this. But when you have a crisis in your life or in your family, that's really when you find out how much you need to have a church connection and you have friends there who will support you through that. So, okay. Now, the specific part of the question was, how do you keep that after-church positive feeling lasting all week? Well, that, that's a good question, and it's not simple to answer as I think about it. One of the things that I'm really glad is this person has found that, that attending church does help them, and they go away encouraged in the faith. They find themselves uplifted and stretched in God's direction and inspired by what they've experienced with their friends around the scripture, maybe with what the pastor said, maybe with, the, with a prayer time, maybe at the Lord's table. Whatever it was, they found what God wants us to find. He wants us to find that grace when we put ourselves in the stream of grace. So that's very good that this person has, has gone with a good attitude, has participated in the service, has gone away with that, wow, this is great. I'm so glad I came. That's good. Now, the next part of that is I ha have to hasten to say, when we have positive feelings, we also have to recognize them for what they are. They are feelings. And feelings are wonderful at guiding us, but they're not good masters. I often say they're, they're wonderful servants and terrible masters. Feelings can be like warning signs or uh, alert signs on the dashboard of life. They might warn us that, that something's not right and we need to give attention to something. They might be an alert to say, wow, you need to do this again. This is good. So understand the feeling side of it for what it is. Feelings don't last. They're, they're, they come and go, and they're good when they come and go, like this person said, after church. Now, the other part of that is we can nourish our souls during the week. And we can remind ourselves of what God said to us on Sunday, on Tuesday, or Thursday. And so you might want to think about, well, what was it that I went away from church 
with? What was it that was said or that somebody pointed out to me, or maybe that my conversation with this person or what the Bible said when we read the scripture, what was it that really resonated with me this week? Maybe it was around the Lord's table when we shared communion. What was it that that meant something to me? You might, you might make a note of that, mental note or written note, anything that'll help you. And, and perhaps that's what God wants you to think about and to nourish your soul with during the week. And, and that's good. Build yourself up. That's part of our responsibility. You might also consider what are the things in my week that tend to pull me down and deplete that after church positive feeling, as the person said. And sometimes we just have to avoid those things. We just need to stop doing them. You may find this humorous, you may find this ridiculous, but I regularly say to people, just stop watching the news. It's just not a good influence on us. We consume too much of it. We allow it to eat away at our joy. We allow it to misinform us. And believe me, there's a lot of that goes on. Just turn it off. And, and the other side of that is, you know, the news will never get better. What the way they report it and what they report will never get better until people quit watching what they're putting out there. But that's a little different subject and a little different question to answer. But if you find yourself encountering something on a daily or every couple of days or weekly basis that really just saps your spiritual strength, just avoid that. Just don't do it and replace it with things that build you up. Now, the other side of that is this, understanding that feelings kind of rise and fall. Remember, you start preparing for Sunday on Monday. So in the afterglow of Sunday, on Monday, you start thinking about and anticipating the following Sunday, and then you plan for that. You think about what you're going to look forward to. Maybe you have at your church the opportunity to know what the scriptures are going to be for the following Sunday. Maybe you can do a little Bible reading to prepare for that. Whatever you can do, start thinking about what you're going to prepare and how you're going to be ready for Sunday when it comes. A couple of practical things. Sometimes people like to pick out what they're going to wear early in the week and they put it aside in their closet because then they don't have to think about it on Sunday. They get up and they're ready to go. Uh, other people need to maybe adjust their Saturday night to get ready for Sunday. How many people are more serious about getting their rest before they have to go to work or school than they are before they go worship the creator of the universe? Yeah, I know I went from preaching to meddling there, didn't I? Well, stop and think about that. Why do we make school or work a higher priority in terms of our preparation, in terms of our rest, than we give to preparing to meet God on Sundays? You ever think about that? Why would we take God for granted like that? Why wouldn't we make an extra effort to be ready for him? See, we're trying to cultivate that sense of, of well-being and what this person talks about, that after-church positive feeling. Well, I probably went on a little too long about that, but you know how it is with us who are preachers. You push a button and sermons come out, even instant sermons. Well, let's take another one. Somebody else brought up an idea that's really fairly common these days, and, and people do kind of wonder about this, and, and, 
and they didn't write this in the form of a question, but more in the form of um, they just can't get their mind around this. So they wrote this. I cannot understand why Jesus cannot stop some of the wickedness in the world. I cannot understand why Jesus cannot stop some of the wickedness in the world. Well, I think we all understand that person's uh, desire. There, there are a lot of things that go on that are just evil. And I've been saying for a while now, and I probably don't say it enough, that we need to recognize that, that what's going on in our world is, is more than anything else, the battle between good and evil. I don't think it's ever been clearer that the battle lines have been drawn between good and evil. And so that's probably why this person is wondering, well, since there is so much evil, and since it is clear that it is between good and evil, why can't Jesus, why can't God step up and put a stop to it? Uh, good question. The simple answer is, what we understand of the revelation of God from the Bible is that he can do whatever he purposes to do. Whatever God wants to do, he'll do. And we can have confidence in that because there is no might stronger than God. We sang a hymn yesterday that though the wrong seemed oft so strong, or I think it's though, though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. And we sang that, and, and that really resonated with me because I was thinking about all the evil things that are going on in the world, and there are some unspeakable evils taking place right now. Unspeakable. And I was reminded when we sang that, that God will have the last word. There is no question about it. Yes, God's people have often had to endure terrible things. We see it in the Bible. We see it in church history. We see it right before our eyes these days. So it's not a question that God cannot stop it. It's a question that God, in his wisdom, understands what he's doing. I, I confess I don't always understand that. I remember a story when I was a kid and some missionaries attempting to reach an unreached group in South America were brutally murdered. And I wasn't very old, but I remember the efforts that they made to reach out to these people. And yet the response was the people killed them and they died, several of them. And I remember the, the horror that went through the church and a lot of us felt what we didn't know how to deal with. And I think I may have been five or six. I was really young. I'm surprised I, I remember hearing about it, but I did. It was really formative. Well, that was a, that was a crushing thing. That, and God didn't stop that evil. Jesus didn't step in and stop that. But the rest of the story is, some years later, people continued to reach out to that group of people. And amazingly enough, they did make positive contact with them. And those people did become followers of Jesus. They recognized what they had done was wrong. They said they recognized it at the time that it was wrong. There were some inter-tribe things going on that, that drove the behavior. But they knew in the moment that it happened that what they had done was wrong. But the good news is God took what the evil one intended for evil, and he made good out of it. Because that tribe was reached with the gospel. And they give amazing testimonies this day of how God intervened to help bring them to himself.
So we need to be encouraged that God does know what he's doing, and he does not step in in every situation for reasons known only to God, and sometimes we get a glimpse of them later on. So, you know, I can't say I always understand either why God does not restrain evil. When terrible things happen to children, it's, it's beyond me to, to find any way to justify that. But I know there is a good God. I know that that good God loves all of us. He loves the kids. He loves all of the people that suffer. And he will one day make all the wrongs right. And I trust him to make the right decisions. I trust him to be a loving God. And I want to develop that confidence in him that recognizes evil for what it is and makes no excuse for it, but recognizes God for who he is. At the cross, Jesus took all of that evil on himself. And now he has the authority, and one day, one day he will make all of the wrongs right, and we can live in light of that hope. And I hope you will too. So maybe related to that, there's a question that someone asks occasionally, and that's, why is God waiting so long for Jesus to return? Well, that's, yeah, I guess that is related to the wickedness in the world. We look around and we see all the bad stuff, and, and we see all the misery, human misery here, there, and so many places, the wars and rumors of wars, famines, disease, all of these things that are going on. And, and those of us who are followers of Jesus, we think, well, it's time for crying out loud. This doesn't need to go on any longer. And I guess it's, I, I guess it's understandable for us to feel that way. I, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how we can help but think that way sometimes. And I'm not too quick to, to say to people, well, you shouldn't feel that way. I don't, I don't, don't, don't hear me say that. Not at all. But what the Bible says is that, that God is delaying the end of time, as the questioner put, the return of Jesus, because God is patient, and he wants everybody to come to follow him. See, God is not intent on destroying people. It is not God's first wish to crush people. God is not in the business of retribution and and um, you'll get yours in the end. That's not really where he comes from. What God would much prefer is that he would much prefer that people would turn to him. And so he's patient, giving every opportunity for people to turn to him, have their sins forgiven, have their lives made new, find life in following Jesus. That, that's, that's really what God is interested in. He's, he's not interested in, in crushing people. Now, I guess if we're honest, some of us have to admit that sometimes we just want people to be crushed. We just get so fed up with the evil, we just, we just want God to come back so we can take care of business. Well, again, he's patient, and love that God has is far different than, than ours. We need to stretch toward that love. We need to recognize that the evil that we see is a, a, an alert, a, a warning for us that tells us how to pray and to pray for the people that are promoting the evil, that they would turn and see the error of their ways and return to God, because that's what God's heart is all about. 
And he wants us to share that same perspective. So don't be discouraged. God will make sure everything is made right in the end. And indeed, in the book of Revelation, if you want another little glimpse of this, it, it tells us that even the martyrs who have died in the faith cry out, wondering how long it will be before Jesus takes care of things. And he assures them to wait a little longer, and one day he'll take care of it. And I trust him for that. And you know, that's, that's a learned trust, and it's a decision trust. It's a recognition that, that God is God and I'm not. It's a recognition that over time, God has found a way to take even the worst things and redeem them. I, honestly, I, I don't know that I can articulate how he does that, but he does. And people will testify to that over and over. And so I want to I cultivate that perspective because that seems to be God's perspective. And I don't want to rush in to, to cause harm where God wants to do good. I don't want to rush in to bring judgment where God wants to bring grace and forgiveness and mercy to people who need it most. So God's waiting because he wants everybody to be reconciled to him. Well, there's another question. We've got a few minutes. I think maybe we can get to this one. It, it's longer than a few minutes, but we'll just go ahead and, and tackle it. This question often comes up, where does free will end and God's sovereignty begin? Well, that's a big question, and there are two big schools of thought theologically on the concept of God's sovereignty and free will. So let me just kind of think about it from the perspective that I have come to believe is, is the best reflection of what God is up to. Clearly, without a doubt, without qualification, without anything, God is sovereign. God rules and reigns over all that we know and all that we can never know, all that we see, all that we can never see. God is sovereign because he's creator, creator of heaven and earth. He is, he is bigger than we can imagine. The whole universe cannot contain him well illustrated by Solomon's prayer at his dedication of the temple, when God came and filled the temple with his glory in the cloud. And Solomon acknowledged that while that temple was a place for God's presence, God could not be contained. So let's not play games with sovereignty. God is sovereign. But when it comes to free will, we need to think about how our free will intersects God's sovereignty. So if God is sovereign over everything, God can cause anything he wants to to happen. He can purpose to accomplish anything because God has the power to do that. He has the authority. He's creator after all. And so God can do anything he wants. So if God can do whatever he wants, including tell us to do what we need to do, and indeed he could make us do, what impact does that have on human freedom or human free will? Now, when I speak of free will, I'm talking about it in the way most people think about it, that you have a choice. I have a choice. We can choose to follow God. We can choose to do what God asks us to do, or we can tell God, and I don't mean to be impolite by this, we can tell God to go pound sand. He gives us that choice, and it's just that straight up. People do that all the time. People follow Jesus, and people reject him. It's true in the Bible. It's true today. That's as clear-cut uh, a description I can give of free will, that we have the ability to say to God, no, or the ability to say yes. 
Now, if God is sovereign and he rules and reigns over everything, and he can cause anything to happen that he wants to, how does that interface or bump into our free will? Well, the Bible teaches us that God has chosen to limit himself to allow room for human freedom. So God could make us do whatever he wants us to do, but he chooses to limit his sovereignty to give room for us to freely choose to follow him or not. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that God would limit himself like that, and it's, a, it's an enormous responsibility for us because we now, because we have this freedom to choose, we now have the responsibility to choose. So it's not a small thing at all. It's an enormous thing, and it's an enormously important recognition on our part that we have to make up our minds. We have to make a decision to follow God or not. So that's a little bit of conversation about free will and God's sovereignty. I hope what you hear is that it really matters what you choose. It really matters what you choose. It makes a huge difference, not just to you, but to the people around you. Choose to follow him. Choose faithfulness. Well, in just a moment, we're going to take a break. We're going to get a sip of tea, and we're going to take a breath and refresh ourselves and reorient ourselves and come back and tackle a few more of these questions. And I hope you'll stay with us because we really do want to think about some of these important things. We're going to talk a little bit about prayer, and we're going to talk about the separation of church and state. What does that really mean? We hear a lot about that, but most of it is misinformation, and perhaps, probably, almost certainly, a lot of it is intentional misinformation. So stay tuned. Join us in a minute. We'll be right back. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
fun yet? Well, I hope so. This is Instant Sermon Week on Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. And remember, my friend, in talking about Instant Sermon Week at our church, talked about how it was just fun, how they found it, my word, not hers, refreshing. And so I hope you're having fun, too. I hope you find it refreshing to think along with me on some of these things, because we need to use the, the good sense God has given us, informed by the Bible, so that we don't get in a ditch of some kind. But that's, the, that's kind of the purpose of what we're doing here, to try to help us think through some important issues of our time. And I want to thank you for joining us. I hope you find it helpful. I want to thank my church for being a part of this and allowing us this opportunity to, to share together. We want to all stretch toward God's high calling because God has things in mind for us we can barely imagine, and we want to encourage each other's faithfulness, and we want to grow in the direction God has us to go. Now, before I continue with some of the questions that I want to talk about, for instance, sermon, I want to let you know that there is a movie being released in just a couple of weeks, and I want to really encourage you to seek out this movie and attend it. It, it is a remarkable, a remarkable film, and, and I, I can't tell you about it because I would not, for anything, uh, do any spoiler alerts on this. It's essentially five stories, and it's, it's just remarkable what it illustrates about the grace of God. And, and I'm telling you, we say this all the time, you can't make this stuff up. Well, this is true of this movie. These are true stories, and you can't make this stuff up. So coming out in, I hope in a, in a theater near you, is a movie entitled Show Me the Father. It's going to be released on September 10th. It'll be showing in lots of places around the country. Like all movies, it doesn't get every place, but I hope it's close enough where you can find it and that you will give serious consideration to taking your friends and going to see this movie. Show Me the Father, September 10th is when it's released. You may hear about, your, hear about the movie at your church. I have no hesitation to recommend it. I believe you'll find it heartwarming and encouraging, inspiring, all the things that you hope for when you go to a movie like this. So show me the father. It comes from the creators of a movie you may have seen a few years ago named War Room. And also they, they put out a movie called Courageous. I think you'll really benefit from this one. So show me the father, September 10th, and, and invite somebody to go with you. Say to them, if you'll buy your ticket, I'll buy the popcorn. Well, of course, that pretty good deal. If you want to take me to the movie, I'll go with you on that basis. But I got to warn you, I eat a lot of popcorn. So anyway, September 10th, show me the father. I want to encourage you to make that a, a weekend to remember. And it's always good to go on the first weekend because it says a powerful statement about your support for this kind of movie, as opposed to other things. So September 10th, show me the father. All right, let's go back to these questions that, that we've been working our way through and, and trying to bring some better understanding to things. And here a person says, I'm having a difficult time praying these days. I spend quiet time and listen, what advice can you give? Boy, that's a big, tough one. That's, there's not an easy way to answer a question like that because we don't have a lot of information from that. We don't really know what this person means when they say they have a difficult time praying. Uh, I, I think some of us have an idea of what they might mean. I hope that they're not saying, 
well, I pray, but God never gives me my way. See, that's not the point, is it? The point is when we pray to trust God that his way is better and his way is best and his way is the only way that we should want to go. So if that's the difficulty, don't beat yourself up over saying, well, I never get God to answer my prayers the way I want him to. Too many people have made that the benchmark for, for their prayers. And I just think that's just a huge mistake. There's no place in the Bible that it says that we grade our prayers or our time spent praying by whether God gives us what we ask for in the way we ask for it. Many times, I think we've all had this experience, we would ask for one thing, and God does something else, and we end up realizing that, that we just need to trust Him in the first place. And, and so don't, don't get caught in that trap of thinking that if I don't pray a certain way, and God doesn't answer my prayers, then something's wrong with me. And also, don't get trapped by listening to people who talk about how all their prayers get answered. I have a real difficult time believing that all of their prayers get answered, that they are so in tune with God that they're always praying and only praying what God wants to do anyway. So let's, let's, let's not get hung up on that. Now, the other part of that is, what do we say to God when we pray? Do we always think we have to be asking for something? Or maybe if you're struggling with, with this kind of thing, just don't ask. Just acknowledge. Spend the time that you spend praying just thanking God for all the good things that He has done in our world. Maybe good things He's done for you. Maybe good things He's done for your family. Maybe something good for your friends. Thank Him for the beauty of creation. Just go down through the list of all of the things that you can just say, thank you. I want to give acknowledgement that you are a great God and you've done this. Think about biblical history and thank God for his work in the lives of his people, as, as told by the, the story of the Bible. There are all kinds of ways we can give thanks to God and to acknowledge the goodness that, that defines God. And so we don't need to spend our time asking. We could spend our time acknowledging what God has done. I think that would help a lot of us and take the pressure off of us, because way, 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 way too much writing and talking about praying is, is oriented toward how you can get your way with God. You know, I think God is far more interested in getting His way with you, and, and that's the way we ought to orient our lives. And if you want to talk to God about something He wants to hear, then you just say to Him, God, what is it that you, that you need me to do? What is it that's about my life that isn't oriented in your direction? And, and listen, I'm pretty sure you'll hear from him on that basis. And it never hurts to just be still and allow the, the Spirit of God to give you peace. Sometimes we just get too frantic about things, and maybe you just need to be still and, and thank God for the peace of Christ, the, the encouragement the confidence, the consolation that comes from knowing that God has got everything under control, and, and He will handle things. We don't have to worry about it. When it all gets said and done, God will take care of things. And maybe we need to spend our time acknowledging that instead of focusing on all the terrible things. Talk to God about the things that concern you. 
but then acknowledge that you are grateful that he knows and he's working in all of those situations. Now, related to that, people, somebody asked me, what is a good, and they said, short prayer to use when you need a little extra strength from God? I thought that was interesting, a, a good prayer and a short prayer to use when you need a little extra strength from God. Well, there's really a good prayer, and it's not very long. I don't know what your definition of short is, but I've been encouraging people to use the Lord's Prayer as a regular way to pray. We've been doing that in our church for a long time now. Every Sunday, we pray the Lord's Prayer together. I know some people think that sounds a little old-fashioned. Well, uh, it's in the Bible, so I don't think the Bible's old-fashioned. And I have been amazed, especially this last year, just amazed. We've gone through all of this stuff with this virus and all of the stresses and strains in the world, and I have been amazed at how often a phrase, an idea from the Lord's Prayer just jumps out at me, and God has got things covered in that prayer that I never realized. And so I want to encourage you to, if you need to, <laughs> dust off the Lord's Prayer and, and use it as a guide for praying, because God wants to help us with all those kinds of things. And all of the things that are mentioned in there are things God cares about, and He encourages us to pray about. And if God encourages us to pray about them, then it must be important for us to do just that. So check out the Lord's Prayer if you have difficulties. If you don't have difficulties, return to the Lord's Prayer. It is a great thing. Now, if that's not enough, and, and it's, a, it's a wonderful place, it's the first place I would suggest you start. If that's not enough, there's a prayer book in the Bible. It's called the Book of Psalms. Go to the Book of Psalms and find the Psalms in there that express your heart to God. That's what those psalms are, are written for. They express the writer's heart toward God. So use those and allow God to use those to help you express yourself to God. Why not? He gave them to us. Why shouldn't we use them for that benefit? So find the ones that mean something to you. You might use the same ones for a while. You might use one today and then look for a different one tomorrow. However God leads you, fine with me. But Start with the Lord's Prayer, and then turn to the Psalms. There are other prayers in the Bible, of course, but the, the, the book of Psalms is the Bible's prayer book, so that's where we tend to encourage people to start. And then as you're reading other stories in the Bible and, and you come across prayers, maybe that's something you can incorporate in your own praying and to use those prayers along with the Lord's Prayer and the book of Psalms. Well, with all of the things that are happening in the world, it's not surprising to me that people keep wanting to know what is separation of church and state. We hear that phrase a lot. We hear it used a lot. I'm sure we can't cover everything related to that in this simple conversation, this simple attempt to talk about it. But I want to bring some clarity to it, and I bring that clarity without a doubt, from a Christian perspective, from the perspective that God rules and reigns over everything. We talked about sovereignty earlier, and God is in charge of everything. He doesn't control every little bit of our lives. He gives room for human freedom. But God is the one who set all of this in motion, and God is the one to whom we ultimately give allegiance, and one day we will give an account to God. 
So we need to understand the, the concepts of separation of church and state in that light. Now, in America, we don't have the same government that they had in the Bible. Certainly, we don't have a king, and that was obvious in the New Testament and the Old Testament. We don't have kings. We don't have heavy-handed rulers like we saw in the case of Jesus and his encounters with Herod and Pilate. We don't have that sort of absolute power vested in a single person, or at least our laws say we don't. But what does it mean to be separate in our context, understanding that it is different? And I'm convinced that biblical truth informed the formation of our government. I'm convinced that, that the principles from the Bible had a huge role in guiding our decision makers when they formed the United States and its government. So what's the idea of separation of church and state? Well, we often hear it used as a way to marginalize the voice of the church. Often it will be used in a political sense to say to the church, ah, you can't go there, separation of church and state. We don't care what you think. You don't have any reason to say to it because separation of church and state. And so they push the church away and its moral authority away under the guise of separation of church and state. So it's an attempt in that definition to marginalize the church. Well, there's no way that the Bible supports marginalizing God's people, the church. There's no way that the church should ever allow itself to be marginalized. However, in the early days of our country, there were a group of people that were concerned about this new government, and it was quite new at the time. And so they wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson, who was the president of the United States. And this group of people was the Danbury, Connecticut Baptist Association. you got to love them for this, because this is so significant and so meaningful, even to our day, so many years later. Well, the Danbury Baptist Association was concerned that this new government that was called the United States would begin to behave in ways that, that would require the church to act in certain ways. They would start telling, in simple sense, in a simple description, they would start telling the church what it could do and what it couldn't do. And they were concerned because they recognized that the church answers to God, not to government. And so they wanted clarity on what this new or relatively new government was going to be about. And they wanted to find out from then-President Thomas Jefferson what they should and could expect from the government. So they expressed their concerns in a letter, asked him for his response, and he responded by assuring them that the government was restrained from getting involved in the affairs of the church. That the clear statement of our founding documents was that the government could make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, some of you recognize that as coming from the Bill of Rights. Yes, that's true. Notice very carefully that the statement says the government shall make no law, shall make no law. What that means is the government can't make a law relative to the church. 
make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. See, that's very important because it restrains the government, not the church. And really, that's what the entire Bill of Rights does. It is a listing of the rights of the people and how the government is restrained from infringing on those rights. A lot of people don't understand that, and we need to make sure we capture that. See, in, in, in our understanding of government and in the way we formed American government, our understanding was that the people have rights that come from God, and those rights need to be preserved. And the primary role of government is to preserve the rights of the people. The rights don't come from government, never have, never will. It's God that gives us those rights. It's the government who is entrusted by the people under God to preserve the rights of the people, not to infringe them, not to pronounce what rights they can have and what rights they can't. It's simply to preserve the rights of the people as outlined but not fully stated in the Constitution and specifically the Bill of Rights. So whenever you hear something referred to and the idea brought up of separation of church and state, always remember the whole point of that was a wall of separation keeping the state, the government, out of the affairs of the church. Never think that it was set up to keep the church away from government. What we have to remember as part of God's household of faith, as the people of God, as the church, is that we represent the creator of heaven and earth, and we have a responsibility under God to speak the truth about anything and everything, and we need to stand on our moral authority as God's people to speak correction into the life of the government. It's always appropriate for the church to challenge the government and say, thus saith the Lord. Always appropriate to do that. We should never shrink from that. We always stand on our moral authority. So when something is wrong and the Bible says it's wrong, for example, the Bible says we shouldn't kill. Murder is wrong. So when we say to the government, we are offended and horrified that you are allowing and sanctioning by legal means the destruction of babies before they're born, God says to you, this is an offense, and it must stop. So the church has every reason to say this to the government, and any place else that the government violates what God has given us, the church needs to speak up and say to government officials, thus saith the Lord. So a lot of people were concerned and there's still some of this going on, not a lot. I'm a little concerned that it might happen again, but let's, let's think about the future in a, in a sense that we've learned our lesson. But so many places gave instructions that the church was not allowed to meet. And you've probably heard the stories. There, there are so many. It's unbelievable the, believable, the coercive nature of government trying to stop the church. When they allowed liquor stores to be open and when they allowed abortion centers to be open, but they wouldn't allow the church to be open. Something was wrong. So 
One of the things that we should recognize is that the government has no authority to shut the church down. None. Because the Constitution says the government shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So when it says prohibiting the free exercise, it means they can't tell us we can't meet. They just can't. They have no authority to do that. So the church needs to stand up and say no to the government. You cannot tell us we are going to meet and you cannot prevent that. Now, in every situation that I've heard of where the government was heavy handed that way and the church has pushed back, the church has won. And the government has realized it's been after the fact, sadly, but the government has realized they overstepped their authority and the courts and the church have pushed back enough to say enough. You can't do this. We will not stand for it. You're not allowed. It's illegal for you to tell the church what to do. So we in the church need to recognize that the law is on our side here. Not only the law of God, which is clear because God is who we answer to, we don't answer to government, but it's also clear that in this country, in the United States of America, the law is clear that we have every right to conduct our affairs without interference from any government entity. Sadly, there's a lot of interference that goes on in the name of public safety and other things, and, and the church being kind has cooperated with a lot of things. But we're going to need to learn as the years unfold when to say no, because our government officials are becoming emboldened to tell the church what it can do and what it can't do. And we need to recognize all the way back to Thomas Jefferson, it has been clear that the wall of separation was to keep the government out of the church, not the other way around. So take authority, take moral authority and tell the government what God says and expect your government elected officials to listen and take heed because God's word matters. And when God says something, he means it. He's not just messing around. He means it. So, well, that's a lot of ground we've covered today, and I, I hope you found some of it helpful. Uh, I, as I jokingly said, I hope you had a little fun in the process, too. Um, I certainly have, and I always enjoy these times of talking to you. Hope, hopefully, they're always helpful and beneficial. See, it's really important to me that we, that we build each other up. It's really important that we realize that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. So many times we get discouraged by one thing or, or another, and we've talked about that. When the government comes along and does things that should not, must not, cannot be allowed to do. When terrible things happen in the world around us, and we see evil seem to win, it, it can tear us down. When we are eagerly anticipating the day when God makes all the wrongs right, we wonder, why is he taking so long? All of those things are understandable. It's, it's just part of life. But one of the things we have to come to grips with is that we can have confidence in God. We can trust God. And we need to cultivate that sense of confidence. And we need to, to catch ourselves when we doubt. And, you know, some people get a little horrified when they doubt, and, and it's nothing more than an alert. When you find yourself doubting 
return to that which you know is so. When you see the the wrong seeming so strong, remind yourself that God is not finished. God is still the ruler, and we can have confidence in him. And we want to build each other up in that confidence, because that's what faith is. Faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And you know, we need something to trust these days. So many people and institutions have let us down. They've betrayed our trust. Think of how much we have respected government and then seen them attack the church with their heavy-handed ways. It's, it's beyond outrageous. But in spite of all of that, we come back to the realization that we can trust God, and we will, and we do. So take that after-church feeling from this program and nurture your faith and your confidence in God all week. We'll be back next week, and we'll talk some more and help each other develop that kind of faith because we want to strengthen people and stretch in God's direction. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.